Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church, and thank you for welcoming us into your home this morning. We are certainly living in some weird, unsettling times. Every day I wake up, it feels like I'm stuck in that old Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. I wake up and I wonder, what day is it? Is it Tuesday? Is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? But I can tell you, my favorite day is Sunday because we get to worship together. But I'll tell you one thing that's weird in this season. It's preaching to a bunch of empty seats. I sure miss you. I miss the energy. So I need you to help me. If I say something funny, put a laughing emoji, say amen, hallelujah. Because when Jennifer was telling me last week, she said, Benito, your jokes are a lot funnier in church. You're not that funny on the computer. So I need your help because I want to show her that my jokes do work. At least I hope they do. But right now, the reality is this. People's emotions are all over this, all over the place. This week, I've talked to so many people that are facing all kinds of uncertain situations. I talked to people who've lost their jobs, who've had their hours cut back. I've had conversations with people from the medical field who are fearful of what they're facing. Business owners who are trying everything in their power to keep their businesses afloat. I've encouraged frustrated parents who are homeschooling their kids and they're losing their patience. They're about to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They're trying to figure out the new math so they can teach their kids, but they've already given up on the new math and they've gone to the old math. But here's my advice to somebody. Here's what I've learned over the years teaching my kids math. Here's the best strategy. Get a calculator, give it to them. Far simpler way easier, and it's much more efficient. But bottom line is this. We are all facing several big questions, emotions that many of us have never felt before. Add that to the predictions that some of the top doctors in the U.S. are telling us about the best-case scenario for coronavirus deaths. They're telling us that anywhere between 100,000 to 250,000 people will die because of this pandemic. President Trump said earlier this week that things are going to get, quote, very, very painful in the next two weeks. People are troubled. But the I am statement that we are looking at today that Jesus said speaks directly into our uncertainty, into our difficulties, into all the things that we're facing. And it offers us clarity, assurance, and hope. The statement is found in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Let me give you the background into which Jesus spoke his most controversial I am statement. It's the night before Jesus would be crucified. It's his final night with his disciples. It was an emotionally charged, tense evening. Jesus had just shed his authority and taken off his robe and he took the image of a servant and he washed his disciples' feet. Everybody was flabbergasted. How could the Messiah wash dirty, stinky, nasty feet? And if that wasn't enough, after he did that, 
They're supposed to have this amazing dinner together, the Last Supper. He drops a bomb. He says that he is about to die and that one of them in the room will betray him. Talk about a conversation killer. Can you imagine the emotions in the room that night? This group had been so close. They thought that they were called by the Messiah to overtake Rome. They were going to ride this gravy train and take rulership and become these rulers in their time. They had witnessed blind eyes open. Lame people were walking. Deaf ears were hearing. Dead people came back to life. They heard Jesus preach like somebody who had authority. They heard every one of his messages. They had no doubt in their minds settled the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And now he's saying he's going to die? One of them would betray him? This didn't line up in the plans that they had made. Everything that they were thinking was coming unraveled. The disciples had to be rocked. The air has been sucked out of the room. Can you imagine the anger, the disappointment, the fear that they were feeling in that moment? And it's in this context, and it's the backdrop of what's going on, of what I just described, that Jesus said these words. So if you have your Bible this morning, open up to John chapter 14, verse 1, and look what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. When you come to the word troubled, I want you to underline, circle, highlight, smiley face that word. The Greek word for troubled is the word terizo. It means uneasy, unsettled. It means agitated. It's the picture of a stormy sea just overtaking the waters. And troubled is a good word that describes many of our emotions right now. There have been many nights that I've woken up. In the middle of the night, and the only word that I could describe is, I was troubled. I was troubled as I thought about people I love dearly getting the virus. I thought I was troubled as I read Facebook posts and comments of people that I know personally that have contracted the virus and they're fighting for their lives. I've been troubled as I've been thinking about some of the financial hardships that could possibly lay ahead for us as a church, for us personally, for us as a country. Troubled is a word that I think that have have been a way to describe my emotions a lot through these last several weeks. And I don't think I'm the only one that has felt troubled during this situation. I think, if we're honest, every one of us has felt a little bit of that trouble and when we're feeling troubled Jesus has a word specifically for you he has a word specifically for me it's found in verse 1 he says let not your hearts be troubled Jesus gives us a command he very plainly very simply says stop being troubled like pastor B that's way easier to say it's hard to do I just can't control my emotions. It's hard for me to stop being troubled. They're out of control. But I want, you, I want you to notice that if Jesus gave you a command, he'll give you the power to obey that command. But I want you to notice this is not just a command. It's 
followed by a promise. It's not a command. It's actually an invitation. Watch this invitation because Jesus does not just challenge them to be troubled. He reshifts their attention on the uncertainty of the situation and he puts it squarely on the certainty of who he is and the promise that he offers. And it's not just for them. It's for every one of us who have trusted him. Beautiful, powerful words. Listen to it this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The word believe can also be translated trust in God. Trust also in me. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And here's the first thing that we learn that Jesus tells his disciples. Stop stressing out and start trusting me. Right there in your living room, in the kitchen, wherever you're at, I want you to get your spouse by the shoulders. I want you to shake them like this. Yeah, shake him like that. Yeah, shake him. I want you to look him in the eyes and just tell him, stop stressing out and start, trust, start, start trusting God. That's the command that God gives us. To stop stressing and start trusting. And what's interesting about this command, in John chapter 12, just a few chapters before, Jesus is recorded by John that he was troubled. That Jesus felt troubled at the thought of the cross. And now Jesus is saying to the disciples, I know what it's like to be troubled. I've been where you've been. I've taken on flesh and I've taken on blood. And I know what it is to have emotions. But he's saying this, don't let your emotions rule you. Jesus is saying life does not need to be ruled by emotions or by uncertain uncertain circumstances. Because when things seem out of control, God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And when we trust God with our lives, it produces peace and not panic. For some of you, that's your message for today. That's what you need to hear. Right now, you're troubled. Right now, our world is troubled like no other time in our lifetime, like no other time in generations. Fear is pervasive everywhere we look. And I wonder, if we put a recorder in your house this week and we reviewed all the words that you said this week, would your words be described as fear-filled or faith-filled? See, emotions are important. They're indicators. They tell us what's happening in the recesses of our hearts and our soul. And according to Jesus, this is what he says. We aren't to be ruled by our emotions. This is what Jesus says. We are to take charge of our emotions. But how? He tells us. We shift our emotions from fear to faith in a moment. It happens. It's just like changing the channel on a television. And we change it when we stop stressing out and we start trusting in God. It's like this. Have you ever watched a movie that you didn't like? What do you do when you watch a movie that you don't like? I've watched several movies that I don't like. Sometimes I watch a movie and I think have this thought, like, I am now dumber for watching this movie. Like, I just wasted hours of my life. Like, one movie that was real popular back in the day, Jennifer tried to get me to watch it. It was the movie Twilight. And I watched, like, half of an episode. And this is what I thought, man, I am now just, I'm just dumb. For watching this movie. I lost a moment in my life that I'll never get back because there's werewolves falling in love with Pia. Just weird stuff. Like, and you know what you do? When you watch a movie that you don't like, you don't ever watch it again. I've never watched Twilight again. There's several movies that I will never watch again. But sometimes when we have bad experiences, we replay those movies over and over in our mind. We replay them in high definition, in 
4K virtual reality, high def, and we see it happen over and over again. And when we replay a negative situation, you feel all those negative emotions, you feel those negative moods. In fact, if you start playing a negative situation, you will feel those emotions come up in your mind and in your heart. And you. And if you keep worrying about all the bad things that can happen in the future, this will happen. You will actually feel bad in advance. You can live an experience in your mind without actually living it in real life. When you start worrying and you start stressing out. And what Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't bring these emotions on yourself. Instead of stressing out, trust in God. Trust in what God has done for you. Trust in what God has in store for us. Because when we decide to trust God, we have the power to dictate what movie is playing in our mind. You have the ability. I have the ability to change the movie in my mind. That's why Jesus says, believe in me. Trust in me. Change what's going on in your mind. And what Jesus is telling him, I've been with you. He's telling his disciples, yeah, you've been troubled, but think about this. I've never let you down. You know, when you were troubled in the wilderness, you thought you were going to starve to death. There were thousands and thousands of people, and you didn't know how you were going to get that next meal. And guess what I did? I took two loaves. I took five loaves, and I took two fish, and I fed 5,000 men, 20,000 people all together, and afterwards, each one of you had a basket full of food that you can eat all to yourself. I've never let you down. And if you forgot, I want you to replay this in your mind. When you were in that boat, the storm came your way. There was troubles in the water. You thought you were going to die, and you saw me walking on water. I walked above the storm. I came to you. I spoke into nature because I'm the God of nature, and I said, peace, be still. You think I let you go down there? And when you need resources, when you said, we need to pay Caesar, what did I do? I told you where to fish, and I told you to cast your nets, and when you pulled up the fish, there were coins in those fish, because I am the God who provides. I've never let you down. I'll never let you down. I'm the same yesterday. I'm the same today. I'm the same forever, and if you can trust me back then, you can trust me today, because I am the amazing God. Trust me. So if you're feeling trouble this morning, this is what I want you to do right there where you're at. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to pause. Right now, close your eyes. And and as you close your eyes, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to remember how good your God has been to you. Think about how he saved you. How you weren't even looking for him. God put you in a Christian family. Somebody invited you to church. Somebody told you about that podcast and something grabbed you. God saved you. He came to you. Not only did he save you... Think about how he's provided for you, how he's been with you, how he opened the door for you to get that job, how he's led you through the years, how you prayed prayers for a job or a relationship, and those doors began to slam in your face, and you wondered, God, are you even there? But now that you look back years later, you realize that door that was shut was actually an answer to prayer because God was directing you to a better door. Let me tell you, Freedom Church, your God is faithful. He's always been trustworthy. And he always will be trustworthy. You can trust him. And the word for you this morning is this. Open your eyes. Stop stressing out. And start trusting Jesus. He is faithful. And when we do, we'll be free from fear. 
and we'll be filled with faith. Let's read, let's continue to read the story. Verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. He says, believe also in me. Look what I've done for you. And then he says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley face the words many rooms. This is where Jesus speaks of heaven. And I want you to notice how Jesus speaks of heaven. He speaks of heaven as relation rather than location. He says, my father's house. Heaven is about a relationship with him. It's about proximity to God. It's the reward that Jesus offers us. There's some translations that translate this word, not rooms. They translate it mansions. And a lot of times we have this idea, I, I don't want to mess up your theology, but I want to give you proper theology. A lot of people say, oh, we got a mansion in heaven. We're going to have a mansion all to ourselves. But the Bible never talks about mansions. It talks about the, 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 the Latin Vulgate is where King James actually got the word mansion. But it's not a good translation. The word is actually abode. It means presence of God. And what Jesus is saying is that, guess what? You don't have a mansion all to yourself. You're not all the way in some hillside alone by yourself. But guess what? In heaven, you are in a room where you are close to me. You're in proximity to me. You have relationship with me. For the Christian, here is the goal. Here is the treasure. Jesus is the goal. And he is more important than a mansion. He's more important than gold and silver. Jesus is the treasure. And as followers of Christ, we get to be in a room close to him and that's the reward of heaven that we get to be his sons that we get to be his children his daughters in the same house isn't that a much better view of heaven that we get to have relationship with God because here's what heaven is biblically heaven is where Jesus is and as followers of Christ we get to be close to Jesus and he says, in my father's house are many rooms, he says. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. I know one of the biggest fears for people right now is the fear of death. Some people are afraid that COVID-19 will kill them or kill those that they love. And death is kind of this taboo subject. We don't like to talk about it. But here's the truth. Death has a 100% fatality rate. Every person who has ever been born has died. So all of us, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, which is a big possibility, which might happen, it's probably another message I need to preach in another day, we are going to die. But this is what Jesus tells us, that death is not the end. That there is more to life than just this life. That there's another place that he calls my father's house that's called heaven, the abode of God. And through this word, Jesus is teaching his disciples this. The second thing we learn is to focus on heaven and it will change how you live on earth. That Christianity can only be lived out by people who have an adequate view of heaven. And as you look at Christians historically... They've always been able to do these incredible, courageous things for one reason. Because Christians have always believed that this earth right now is not all there is. That it's a vapor. That it's preparation for eternity in God's presence. And if you look at the spread of Christianity, especially in early Rome, as the plagues began to wipe out the Roman Empire, it was the Christians who stepped up and they took care of the sick. 
when the sick were left to die and they were abandoned by their own family members. They were, li- they were left to die in ditches in the streets. It was the Christians who did not fear death. And many of the sick people got well because all they needed was some food and some care and some shelter and some water. And after they got well, these pagans that were left behind put their faith in Jesus because they saw another way of life. You've heard the saying that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't believe that is true at all. But I do believe that you can be so earthly minded that you are no heavenly good. Some people are so focused on this earth that they have nothing and thought and foresight for heaven. And what happens about this earth is this. We're realizing this earth is a vapor. It can be gone. Everything that we have been working for so hard in a month can be gone. Retirement, health, family. There are things that we have no control over. So we need a hope beyond this earth. And this is what Jesus says. That's why heaven is a central topic in the scriptures. It appears 532 times. But sadly, in the last 100 years of the church, the majority of messages that we hear are how to have a better life now on earth. How to live your best life now. We have been taught pragmatism and self-help, and we have taught just how to make this earth all that there is. But the message of Jesus is he puts the caveat, he puts the thing to look forward to, is not this earth but the world to come. And I propose to you, Freedom Church, I think as a church, in our lives, if we're going to accomplish everything that God wants us to be, we need to put a lot more attention on heaven. I remember growing up, we sang a lot about heaven. Songs like, I'll fly away, all glory. Remember the song, oh, I want to see him. When we all get to heaven, when the roll is called up yonder. And I remember being a kid in church when the pastor's message wasn't going very well. No problem. He would just, in mid-sentence, start preaching about heaven. Everybody would get excited. They'd be shouting hallelujah. Shouting hallelujah. Everybody would get excited. And it was a moment of people's hope. But most of us today, when we hear about heaven, we don't get excited. Including myself, I remember when I was a young man, I said these things. I remember thinking those things. I remember saying, Jesus, I hope you don't come back until about a month after I get married. You see, because when Jennifer and I were young, we were waiting until we got married to do the boomba woomba. And I was thinking, man, I don't want to die before I do the boomba woomba. And what man? And I was wondering, like, that's better than heaven, which is so wrong. I've talked to couples who are months away from an epic vacation. They say, I don't want to come, I don't want Jesus to come back until we take our dream vacation to Hawaii. And what they're really saying, and what we're really saying is this, I don't know what heaven is like, but it can't be better than marriage. It can't be better than a honeymoon. It can't be better than our dream vacation in Hawaii. And what we have here on this earth is a limited view of heaven. I'm afraid that we've gone a little too comfortable on earth. And as Christians, I want to remind you once again, like Jesus reminded his disciples, heaven is still our hope. See, this week, one of my good friends, Pastor Aaron Escamilla in the Dallas area, lost his father to the coronavirus. His dad was a pastor in Illinois. And after his father passed away, he texted me about his father. And what he texted me brought me to tears. He said this, quote, I have tears mixed with joy. I'm blown away by the idea that my dad is getting to see Jesus face to face, and take in the power of God's presence. And at the same time, 
I have lost someone I love deeply. It's a weird paradox of knowing my father died and this belief that in another sense, he has never been more alive. Follower of Christ, you have the promise of heaven. Listen to the words of Jesus. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you. When I think of God preparing a place for me, I think of my wife, Jennifer. She's one of the most talented, detailed, creative people I've ever met. She, she does everything with excellence. And whenever somebody is coming to our house, she'll prepare that guest bedroom for them. She'll get everything perfect. Or when my girls will go to youth camp or they'll go away to visit somebody for a couple days or a week, she will prepare their house with a surprise or their room. She'll do a little project when they come back. And I, and I see her measuring everything. I see her putting so much time and effort and planning because she wants everything to be perfect. And the Bible says we're created in God's image. And, and my wife is just a little bit of the excellence of the energy that she goes into preparing a place for the people that she loves. How much more do you think God is doing preparing, and how much more amazing is the place he's been preparing for us that it's taken him 2,000 years to get ready. Paul wrote this, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what Jesus has prepared for those he loved. That in heaven, there's no sickness, there's no sadness, there's no suffering, there's no sin, there's no death, there's no coronavirus, there's no cancer. Man, sin has been defeated. The de death has been done away with. Christ reigns forever. We walk in peace and victory. And that's what heaven is, where we have the ultimate triumph over death. That's what Jesus promised us. Look what Jesus tells the disciples. And you know the way to where I'm going. And I love what Thomas says. Have you ever been in service and everybody's shouting, hallelujah, man, that's good. They're taking notes. Like, man, that's amazing. And they're like, oh, I can get that. I'm feeling Jesus up in here. Everybody's pumped up. And, and you're like, like, what did he just say? Like, I don't get it. Like, wh like, why am I missing it? Well, you're not alone. Thomas is there in this message. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He meant, I love Thomas. He doesn't act like he knows it together. He just doesn't uh, just rush his way through this moment. He's honest. He says, God, I'm, Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand what you're saying. You're always speaking in riddles and parables. We ask you questions, and you ask us questions right back. I need you to clarify, Jesus. This is important. I really want to get to heaven. How can we get there? And what's amazing is the questions of an honest, doubting man prompted one of the greatest statements that Jesus ever made. And that's, us for, that's encouraging for us who have doubts. That we don't have to be afraid of our doubts, but we can bring them humbly to Jesus. And when we bring our doubts to Jesus, I love what Jesus does. He speaks clarity and truth over Thomas's doubts. Look at verse 6. I am the way, singular. I am the truth, singular. I am the life, singular. And no man comes to the Father except through me. This is like a mic drop moment. It's like, what? Jesus made claims while he lived this earth, on this earth, that no other religious leaders made. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Krishna, not Gandhi. Jesus repeatedly, emphatically, clearly, 
unapologetically claimed that he was the only God, that he was the only way, that he was the only truth, and that he was the only life. One of the things that blows me away is when skeptics come and they say, you know what, Jesus was a good moral teacher, he was a prophet, but he never said he was God. You Christians are inserting things upon Jesus' words that he never put upon himself. Those people have never read the Bible because everywhere that you go, if you read the scriptures as we've seen in these I am statements, Jesus is making it clear that he is God and that he is the only way to heaven. And I know those words can be offensive to some people. And to you, I would say this. I didn't write the mail. I just deliver it. This is what Jesus said. And our world struggles with this statement. No one struggles with spirituality or prayer or miracles or healing or even the supernatural. What they struggle is with with the exclusivity of the statement. And here's what we learn. That the way to heaven is through Jesus And the way to heaven is exclusive and inclusive at the same time. It's inclusive because Jesus said in John 3.15, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That means that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus includes everybody in his message. But it's exclusive. Is that the only way to experience this love, the only way to experience the life is through him because he is the way. Because he is the truth and because he is the life. And to the Jews, these were three well-known concepts. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus often talked about being the way to God. And the Jews often talked about the way. Moses said this, walk in all the ways of the Lord. The psalmist said, teach me your ways. And the early Christians, they they were only Christians until... Acts chapter 11 is the first time they were called Christians in Antioch. But before that, they were called people of the way because Jesus was always talking about being the way to heaven. And the word way in Greek is this word street. It means pathway. Jesus does not give us a map. He does not give us a set of instructions. He says, I am the pathway. When he says, hey, you want to get to heaven? He doesn't say, here's Google Maps. He doesn't say, here's directions. But what Jesus says, you want to get to heaven? He says, come in me. Walk on me. I'm the road. I'm the pathway. I'm the only one that can take you there. And this is the gospel, that Jesus is the only one that can take us to heaven. We can't get there on our own. We can't follow the directions on our own. We must walk the pathway that Jesus made for us on the cross by dying for us. Not only is he the way, but he says he is the truth. Jesus said that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Back in the day, there's a lot of people... When they said something good, they said, man, that's truth. Man, that person's dropping truth. That's the, and we, we all have this statement in our culture where people just talk about truth. But truth isn't a good statement. Truth isn't a set of rules. Truth isn't an idea. Let me tell you what truth is. Truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And what people try to do is they try to mold truth into their image. One of the sad things about our culture today is people try to make these Jesus action figures. There's what's called a bendable Jesus. I don't know if you've seen this. But this is what people try to do. It's they get this bendable Jesus. I think that's a good image of how people view Jesus. They try to bend him and contort him into their own image. It's like Paul said in Romans chapter 1. That people denied the truth of God and they exchanged it for a lie. 
and what instead of worshiping the creator, that they worship creation. And that's what we do. We want to make our own truth. It's like George Bernard Shaw once said, God made us in his image, and now we try to make him into ours. And a lot of times is we say, God, I like this about you. I don't like this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. And we have this cafeteria view of God. We take the things of God that we like, and we leave those things out that we don't. And what we do is we're not worshiping God. We are worshiping an idealized version of ourselves. But what Jesus says is, I am the truth, and the truth never changes, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, that my words will never pass away. And here's the thing about truth, Freedom Church. Truth never changes, but truth always changes you. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you see the truth and you see the error of your ways, it calls you to live a different way. I've seen so many people meet the truth called Jesus, and I've seen drug addicts be set free. I've seen liars become truth tellers. I've seen people depressed and broken down be filled with joy and hope because when you meet the truth, the truth begins to change the way you talk, change the way you think change the way you move because you're lined up with the truth and truth has a name it's Jesus and that truth gives life his words are life to those who find him Jesus said in John 10 10 that I've come to give life and life abundantly like we said last week the zoe life and as the disciples are processing all this information I want you to see how they they close this conversation. Look at verse 8. They still don't get it. And you're going to see that Jesus is annoyed. Some of you guys that are annoyed with your kids, you're impatient with your kids. Well, Jesus was, was not impatient, but he got annoyed with his disciples. Well, look what he says. Peter said to him, Lord, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You can see the irritation in Jesus' words. And you still do not know me, Philip. And then he says something so profound. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This basically, Philip's saying this. We want, the, we want to see the big one. We want what Moses was denied. Remember, the beginning of the year, I talked about Moses praying a prayer. I want to see your glory. I want to see your face to face. And God told Moses, I can't show you my face or you'll die. And Philip is saying, no, we want to see the face of God. And Jesus is saying, Philip, Philip, my friend, we've been together three years. You've heard me teach you with authority. You've seen the miracles I've done, and you're still not satisfied. What do you think I've been doing over this last several years? What do you think I've been doing as I have healed the sick, as I've loved the poor, as I've cared for those who no one cares for? I've been showing you the face of God. And he says something that is so profound. He says, when you look into my eyes, Philip, you have seen God. You get to see what Moses wanted to see. And scholars say this might be the most amazing claim that Jesus ever made. Because he's telling the disciples, when you see me, you see God. Because Jesus is the exact representation of God according to the writer of Hebrews. Because when we truly see Jesus for all he is, it changes how we live. Because when we truly see Jesus, it changes everything. We Stop stressing out. And we live trusting God. We remember, I, 
stress and anxiety has been something that I've struggled with for a long time. And I can't tell you how many times I've been so anxious about certain things, but I've realized over the years as I've walked with God longer, I stress out a whole lot less because I've seen if God was with me there, He's going to be with me there, He's been with me there, and I realize that I can trust Him and He's trustworthy. And when we see Jesus, it'll cause us to focus on heaven and it'll change how we live today on earth. And when we see Jesus, it forces us to wrestle with His statements that the way to heaven is inclusive and exclusive at the same time. That Jesus says He's God. That He says He offers life. But He is the only way. He's the only truth. And He's the only life. He's the only pathway. And people without Him die. But do we believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe the promises of Jesus? Do you, are you really wrestling with that? Do you believe He has a place in heaven for you? Do you believe He's going to take care of you? And do you believe that He's the way, the truth, and the life? Because if you do, it'll challenge you. It's the Jesus challenge. It'll challenge you that while we're on earth, that we will bring heaven to earth. It's like the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but big faith will bring heaven to your soul and to others. In Freedom Church, I want to challenge you right now. People right now need a little piece of heaven. They need Jesus. People are in jeopardy of losing everything they've worked for their entire lives. Businesses are in jeopardy. Their health is on the line. But here's what we have. We have Jesus. We have a lasting hope in heaven to offer them. We have something that no pandemic or recession can take away. That nothing this world throws our way can take away the hope that we have in Jesus. It's unshakable. And we have it. But are you living like that? Are you living with that hope? Do you have hope that brings heaven down to earth? I love the story of John Harper, a preacher in the 1900s who boarded the ill-fated Titanic. John Harper was 39 years old when he boarded the Titanic. He was a widow and had a six-year-old daughter. He was traveling to Chicago to preach at the world-famous Moody Church. When the Titanic, we all know the story, it struck the iceberg. When it struck the iceberg, he took his niece and his daughter and he put him on a lifeboat. But he would not get on the boat, history tells us. That he put a life jacket on. And when the boat began to sink, survivors tell us that John Harper started to preach. With a loud voice, he said, in Acts, he would quote, Acts 16.31, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He'd go everywhere. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He would move from passenger to passenger, desperately pleading with him to get right with God. When one passenger told him he wasn't interested, Harper took off his life jacket and gave it to him. He told him, you need this more than I do. Wow. And when the ship began to sink, Survivor said that Harper jumped into the icy water and he swam from person to person, pleading with them, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Survivor said that Harper prayed with people over and over again. And there's no doubt that people are now in heaven because one man named John Harper was a picture of faith. He was a dying man with an eternal hope preaching to dying man 
with no hope. And that's what we are, Freedom Church. Every one of us has an expiration date. Every one of our days is coming to an end. We're dying, man, but we have an eternal hope. And that changes everything. It changes how we live, how we pray, how we give. You have a hope. And this morning, if you're watching, and you don't have this hope of Jesus, it can be yours. Like I was sharing, it's inclusive. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's exclusive. You have to call on the name of Jesus. If you're here this morning, if you never put your hope in Jesus, I want you just to, right there, you can just click on Facebook, on YouTube, and just say, I need Jesus. We'll find you. Say, I will accept, accept Jesus. And just say this. Just raise your hand. Just pray with me. Bow your head and say this. Say, Jesus, I need hope. I'm overwhelmed. Lord, I, I, I want the hope of heaven. I believe that you died for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that on the third day you rose again. And I confess you as my Lord. For those of you that are followers of Christ, I want you to bow your heads right there. I want you to extend your hands towards the screen. I want to pray over you. I want to remind you of the hope that you have. Stop stressing out. Start trusting God. Your life is not just for this world. It is for eternity. You have a living hope. And we have amazing claims that Jesus gave us that we need to wrestle with. And I pray, Lord, for your people right now. May they wrestle with the thought they have a hope in you. That this world is not all there is, but it's just the beginning. And Lord, but while we're on this world, while we're troubled, we can look to you. We can trust in you because you are faithful and you are trustworthy. Amen. Freedom Church, I love you. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. I want to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. I want to invite you next week to come to Easter service. We're planning everything that we can to make it an amazing service. We're going to have testimonies. We're going to have special music. We want to make it an amazing time. We want you to go online right before service and post pictures of you dressed up in your Easter outfits because we want to make it as normal as possible because Jesus still rose from the dead. The hope that we have is still resurrection power. And I want to thank you because of your faithfulness and your giving, we can continue to be the church. We want to be the church. We want to be that voice saying, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's four ways you can give. You can give on the church app. It can be found in the app store or in Google Play. You can Go online and you can give directly through the website. Number three, you can text to give. You can use your mobile device and send a text to 84321. Choose Freedom Church. Set up a payment method and text the amount that you want to give. Or you can go to the mailbox and mail it to us. We come into the office when we do some of these lunch and learns and we'll pick that up and we'll... And we just want to just thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. And I want to remind you this week that God is in you. He's for you. And he's with you. And he's called us to be the difference. I love you and invite somebody. Host a watch party next week as we celebrate Easter and the resurrection power of our Savior. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.